Pastor Rick Treese has been pastor of Apostolic Temple in Lake Charles, Louisiana for the past 36 years. He's been in ministry for 44 years. There is a lot more that could be said about him, but I believe this session will speak for itself. I wonder if you would help me welcome Pastor Rick Treese to speak about our appointment. Greetings to you all. It's good to see you this evening. And what a high honor it is to be a part of this study session. I don't know. Uh, I have been to um, study gatherings where maybe a large fellowship produced the event, but I don't know if I, I don't think I've ever been to a study session of this sort where one man had the momentum and the vision and the want to to propel this and uh, your applause to the Mayo family is certainly right and deserved and the very place that we're having it in I told my wife on the phone I said this place is just stunning and um, it gives a great setting the Mayo says, the Apostles' Doctrine deserves the best. I agree. Yes, it does. And my hat off to all of the fine presenters today. I was not here yesterday, nor last night, so I simply have the material in the booklet that um, is before you. I know the men who were the presenters and I can say that those that I've heard today and those that I have looked at from yesterday, we have had the finest outlay of truth. I've been to a lot of Bible conferences in my lifetime, but I have never been to one that has had more complete declarations and word given than, than already in this great symposium. And... <clears throat> The subjects that were covered today were needed subjects. They were subjects that um, we all believe in. I think we do. But to have them uncovered and grouped in such fashion, those subjects, um, to me it was just... Um, like having jewels displayed before you. And thank you, dear men who mined this for us, spent your hours, and uh, you produced the paper, the writing, etc. It is to be commended. Um, capable men. And hearing them, the word usage, their ability to, to speak forth the Word of God. I, I don't know in some of the subject matter how you just remain calm um, when, you, when you give it in, in form as, as, they, as they did. I, I can't make any guarantees this evening. Oh, this is a symposium and, 
and they're listening way out there in radio land. I, uh, um, I can't make any guarantees. When you start talking about some of this truth, and especially what is going to come to us, um, I, I cannot, like uh, the old southern preacher said, I, I can't stand in a number three wash tub and just talk quietly about it. Um, there has to be some sort of demonstration, at least within me, that is manifested because I believe in all of this. And I know that you do. A great crowd you are. Um, students of the Word of God. I've never seen anyone so um, glued to um, receiving what has been given. This, this crowd of, of um, men and women, you, you didn't get up and, and leave. You stayed with it all day long. And so I want to commend all of you for coming what distances uh, you traveled to be here. It is a prize. God bless you all. Um, I'm sorry that you only have a rough outline in front of you. And I'll not give the reason behind that. It is just what it is. Not the amount of time um, that I could produce it in, in a long writing. But I'm glad to be here and participate in some small way. And I certainly count myself the least of all these presenters that you will hear. The subject that we will attempt to deliver is what I would like to call our appointment. I'm going to read, if you will, and I, I don't have I don't have um, instructions given beforehand to those that work the screens, but those chapters and verses that are indicated in the outline, um, if you have the capability of throwing those up on the screen, maybe not everyone brought their Bibles, and we will certainly be using that since I'm not going to be reading. Um, I'm going to be giving this um, shooting from the hip a good bit. And um, so maybe if you have your Bibles, you have it available, we can peruse these truths uh, to a greater defining manner. Let me read. It is a favorite scripture. I trust of yours. It certainly is of mine. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I'll begin reading at verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. 
then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord wherefore comfort one another with these words just to give you a little bit of setting before we take off on the things that I so believe in about this particular passage just a bit of setting this Pauline epistle was among the very earliest writings that he produced mid first century and um, just for quick use borrowing Robertson's dates that he set somewhere approximately on 50 to 51 AD the place of the writing obviously is from Corinth and it was following the sending of Timothy from Athens to Thessalonica and of course then Timothy returned to join Paul and these um, these actions of sending and rejoining are seen in chapter 3 of this epistle and of course the location is voiced once again in Acts 18 and 5 when you read Thessalonians and I am so grateful that Paul wrote on these things to give us material of, of things that we would certainly uh, receive in the future. Those were people that were just like you and I. They did not have the history that you and I are privileged to uh, enjoy with all the writings, and books on the bookshelves, etc. And so they had questions. They were in times of pressure. And you can believe that there were certain big questions, quandaries. Where are we in, in, in this that, um, that we are enduring? What, what, what time is this? What is this in, in the big scope of, of uh, what we hear of future things that shall be? And so Paul took time to address and thus you have uh, the theme of eschatology, eschatos, which is uh, last things, study of last things. That theme and that, that subject is throughout First uh, and Second Thessalonians. And Second Thessalonians has a great statement that also is uh, reflected in the theme that um, is found in 2 and 1. I would beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our episcenagoges, which is our gathering together to him. Our gathering together to him. That's where all of this is going. We're going to be gathered together to him. And I can get a mental picture of it 
But I am so glad for every syllable that is given to help paint the scene of possibly what it will be like. And so Paul is letting them know, First and Second Thessalonians, that there are these future things that we look forward to with such expectancy. And so he goes on in verse 2 of chapter 2 of Second Thessalonians and says, Don't be shaken. Don't be scared out of your wits. And he goes on to describe certain things that could trouble you by a spirit or by a word or by a letter, etc. And so the study of the last things are certainly main themes of the Thessalonian writings. The resurrected Lord and him delivering us from wrath to come is seen as early as chapter 1 and verse 10. As it is declared, and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. It has a good smack to it. It has a good flavor to it. That it gives me relief and it gives me abiding peace. That no matter how many of the woes of the world mount up. Paul said to deliver us from the wrath to come. The word coming. And that word is even used in our text is a, is a great word, coming, parousia, parousion, depending on what case you're using. It means the literal presence, the literal presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm intrigued I'm intrigued with the level of presence that becomes introduced at, um, at certain appearances and what takes place. His literal presence has power in it, and it affects, it affects those that he desires to be affected, just his literal parousian, his presence. I, um, I think that in that coming that is mentioned, it must be quickly stated right here at the beginning of this presentation that in the presence, literal presence of the Lord, the coming of the Lord, there are two elements that are um, certainly declared in this, in this great text of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we must hold on to them. The apostles' doctrine. Yes, they believed that there was one, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. They believed, and, and, and as was presented today, the spirit, the tongues, etc. All of this. What did they believe about what is coming? What is the end of all of this? We're, we're going somewhere. I remind our church folks at home, and they <clears throat> come in on a Wednesday evening, and they're very, very weary, and they've worked hard, and 
sit down on a pew and I remind them. Every now and then we need to remind ourselves all of this is, is producing something. We're going somewhere. There is a great end to all of this. We're not just attending church every week and laboring uh, in truth as we do. But there is a great ending. I'll, I'll say something like this. Turn to someone and, and, and say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to heaven. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm going to heaven. It kind of refocuses everything of, 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 of what has taken place and remind yourself of where you're going. There is a great ending to all of this, the conclusion. And that is, the two elements are, first of all, resurrection that is indicated in this text by saying, the dead in Christ shall rise, anastasontai, which is used here in a future middle, indicates resurrection, and I'll, I'll go into some length about that. And then you have harpagesomatha, which means to be seized, to be snatched, to be caught up. Those two elements are primary in this particular text and are also viewed in, in other texts as well. You, you hear of the word rapture, and how many times have you been fired at when you just talking about uh, things of, of the blessed hope, you use the word rapture. That is a Latin usage. That is a Latin word, rapturo, also is blended by uh, French language which means to be caught up. Let's use, let's use scriptural language here. To be caught up, to be snatched, to be seized, if you will. And that word that I gave to you, to be snatched or seized or caught up, as to be stolen out, it is used in a future passive, and it's something that is... Passive meaning it is something done to me. That, that, that's, that's, that's a great expectation of mine. Something is going to be done to me. All of this is based on, for if we believe, as Paul said, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, all of this blessed future, the culmination of all your praying and all of our labor as I used for the kingdom. It is all based on, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, the result is, even so them also which sleep, and that, and that preposition there, it's translated by the KJV as in, word there is dia with the genitive, which is more literally through or in, but through has a certain idea that is certainly, um, certainly different. Even so them who sleep in Jesus, through Jesus, will God bring with him. 
A small glimpse Paul gives to the Thessalonian church of the, of the order of resurrection. I'll talk about resurrection for a little while, and then I'll talk about the harpagzo, which is the snatching away, because both of them are going to, are going to take place. The order of resurrection in short form is given here in Thessalonians. And it is given, if you will, in maybe a little bit more meaty form in First, or first Corinthians chapter 15. We'll look at that for um, a brief moment when we talk about um, what creative ability, what dunamin, what power God has to, to work with flesh and produce this great, this great thing called resurrection and to be stolen out. The order of resurrection given in short form here is Christ is risen from the dead. Christ, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and shall remain shall be caught up. We'll not precede them that sleep. We'll not prevent them that sleep. But the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. Stolen out of. First Corinthians chapter 15 gives us, if you will, Another angle at saying it, Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits. So for those who question, as the Corinthian church did have questioned, if there would be in fact a resurrection. Paul lets them know in essence that the resurrection is already a fact, not just a possibility. Because Christ has started the resurrection off. He has become the first fruits. He's already proven that it can be done. And then, verse 23, every man in his own tagmati, which is his own order, his own rank, or class, as to do, if we would look at it in a military ranking, every man in his own rank or his own class will be caught up. Christ is the first fruits. He has already proven that it can be done. And there is a blessed promise that if the same Spirit that dwelt in Christ dwell in you, it shall make alive our bodies. The catching away in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 17 that I read as the beginning scripture, it says, then we, which are alive and remain. Paul involved himself. I'll not go into great length. When we talk about the apostles' doctrine, did the apostle Paul think that that was some 2,000-year-away event? What did he believe about his own participation? The dead in Christ shall rise first, then we. He included himself in that statement. And so Paul believing that uh, he would be alive and 
and active certainly is reflected here in this great statement. The dead in Christ shall rise first, speaking about resurrection. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up, or pagzo, stolen, stolen. In the clouds, in the clouds, in Nephelis, in the clouds, there is an appointment for every righteous spirit filled. There is a meeting that is scheduled. There is more to it than, than us just meeting here in this room and, and, and talking about and surveying all the possibilities of the effect of, of, of the Spirit of God worldwide. There is an appointment that each of us are scheduled to, and that is to a meeting of the Lord in the air. Thank you, Paul, for being very specific. He was wanting to comfort these people to give them relief because they did have intense questions. I think you answered it very well, dear Apostle Paul. And so he added, and we'll look at it at the very end, I want you to comfort one another, he said, with what I've just said. I, um, I would add to that what was written in Titus, teaching us that denying ungodliness, worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this noon, Iona, in this now world. There is an obligation, if we are going to be participants in this, Wonderful event, the culmination of all of our faith. If we are going to be participants, then there are some obligations that must be manifested in this noon, Iona, in this now age. Looking for prostekomenoi, expecting, I'm expecting it. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing and epiphanian. We get our word epiphany from this. This glorious appearing. We get our word epiphany. I am sorry that there were not many at his first appearance. I have to apologize. Dear Lord, for all humanity, it was a pitiful show up at Bethlehem. But the next appearing, this next epiphany, it's going to be a lot different. And, and those are exciting words. The blessed hope, the glorious appearing. Um, I repeat again, we get our word epiphany from this word that is employed here in the text, appearing. I, I have never seen him. I have, I have never seen him. 
Paul said that he did. We'll talk about it in a moment. Paul said that he did. I have never seen him, but I believe in him. And there is going to be a point where I'm not any longer going to have to walk by faith. But I will dwell and it will be by sight. All right. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 and 51. He said, behold, I show you a mystery. What is the mystery that he's talking about? Is it resurrection? Let me uh, spend just a moment and show you the difference between what was known at that point and what we're looking forward to through the eyes and the words, the scriptures of Paul. Behold, I show you a mystery. What is the mystery that Paul is introducing? Here it is. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And that involves those that come out of the grave and we who are alive, which will be snatched up, snatched away, seized, stolen out of, removed. We will all take on a change. Let's talk about resurrection. Resurrection, as you know, was believed in and embraced by Jewish people. Fathers, teachers, in their culture, it was woven into their language. How do I know that? Let's just start off with, and Bethany, the friends of Jesus, Mary and Martha, Lazarus had died. Jesus waited that period of time, walked with his friends, and had the discussion with the two sisters, and they just spoke. These were not men of, or students of Gramata. And when we talk about when we talk about ignorant and unlearned men, as was mentioned today, remember all of this is is more Jewish than what we are giving a thought to. When they looked at Jesus and said, when they were astonished at his words, how is it he knows? How is it he's able to know the grammata? Is the word that is used. The in-depth. The in-depth word. Jesus who was the living word. Was speaking to men. In the crowd. When they studied their Torah. It wasn't just what does the scripture mean. Torah scriptures had meaning A, B, C. Certain levels. And to qualify. And to qualify to be a renowned teacher, you had to know more than one application of, of this particular Torah passage. And this man not being in the schools of learning, how is it that he knows the grammata? So, when you have men who were the apostles, let's just take Peter that was mentioned for today. Um, We classify him as just a rough, salty fisherman, but yet he wrote those two epistles, and they were very lofty. And he preached the very first message on the day of Pentecost without notes. Where did all of that scripture come from? Was that the first time they'd ever rolled the syllables off of his tongue? No. Every Jewish boy 
studied in the yeshiva. And when we say they're ignorant and unlearned, it wasn't that they did not know Scripture. They quoted Scripture just like your kids on Sunday school go to learn their memory verses. And they very well knew, but it all came together as the Holy Ghost was brought in. And he on his feet without notes, without previous study, you have a man who has just finished speaking in tongues. And out there in the crowd, some of them are yet stammering lips and still speaking in tongues. The Holy Ghost is still there. And he is uttering a message that is the most incredible message that has so much revelation in it. Preach it from that point. So when we say he's ignorant and unlearned, let me tell you, he spouted in that one message on the day of Pentecost more than all the volumes of dead theology that uh, can be compiled. And he did that flat-footed with what he had learned as a boy, and it all came together within seconds as he was looking out in the crowd that were amazed. So when you say he's ignorant and unlearned, they were talking about he's not been to the school of Gamaliel. And he has not learned the multi-leveled Torah applications. He was filled with the word. And what he spoke was truth. And Paul, being the intelligent man that he was, and giving the resume that he had, it's no wonder you put the Holy Ghost into this man and the level of schooling that he had. Um, it, was, it was incredible what he was able to do with it. So, resurrection. Was it believed? Yeah, it was talked about. It was interwoven in their culture. They talked about it. It was what they looked for. Uh, how do we know that? Look, first of all, if you will, in Acts 23, 6-8, is declared, Remember on the Sanhedrin, there was a division. You had Sadducees and you had Pharisees. Sadducees did not believe in your more spiritual things, such as they say there is no resurrection. They didn't believe in angels nor spirit. But Pharisees, which Paul was, Pharisee of the Pharisees, confess both, he said. So resurrection was a believed in, and I didn't finish that with Mary and Martha, did I? Let me go back and finish that. It was just woven. When Jesus came up and she, he said, do you believe your brother will live again? She said, I know he's going to be, uh, come out on the day of resurrection. And Jesus answered and said, you can believe that I am. Though he is dead, he yet liveth. And they believed. They talked about something that they already uh, in their culture knew about. Jesus was giving the shortcut of hope. To, to Mary and Martha. Sadducees that did not believe in these wonderful spiritual things. And for anybody out there in radio land that does not confess a resurrection, let me just say, you are choosing sides against and opposite to Jesus. Because Jesus certainly did. The Sadducees, remember, who did not believe in a resurrection came to Jesus and wanted to trip him. Some of this vain wrangling that is mentioned in Scripture is given here. And they pose the question, as it is written in, in the Torah, 
if there's going to be a resurrection like you say is going to be, just, just for a question. What if there is a man who marries a woman, they have no offspring? The man dies. And as is the law, the Levirate law, that you, being the next in line, the next brother, would take the wife to bear up seed. And he dies, they have no offspring, goes through seven. If there's going to be a resurrection, the Sadducees said, and it was one of their famous vain wrangling questions. If there's going to be a resurrection like, like is stated, whose wife is she going to be if there is a resurrection? I would have loved to have seen the look on Jesus' face. Because I, even though I know the answer of what he said now, I still get kind of suspended in the air when I get to the end of their question. Jesus knew what he was going to say before they ever asked their question. He said, you do err. You make mistakes because of two things. First of all, you don't know the Scriptures. Ooh, what a slap that was. Sadducees, they were the studied elite. He said, because you do not know the Scriptures, and neither do you know the dunamin. You don't know the power of God. To believe in a resurrection, you must have a glimpse of the dynamite of God. What He has in, in, in as far as a resource he is life. He is life, as was talked about today. He is life. That's the first thing that he is. In him, yes, he is life. Zoe, he is life. You don't know, you don't know the scriptures. He was not afraid of them. To say that openly, he didn't say that looking away. He squared up with him. He said, you don't know the scriptures. I don't care how many applications you think you know and can quote. And you don't know the dunamis. You don't know the power of God that is available. He said, it's not going to be like you think. I'm paraphrasing, of course. We shall be as the angels that neither marry nor given in marriage for those who Always want to quote that there shall be neither male nor female. That does not say that. We shall be as angels, neither marry nor given in marriage. Jesus believed in a resurrection. He stated that he himself was. He was that very power manifested and proved and proved. And proved that. Here's a question that I just would like to throw out to, um, to those that would um, like to put Jesus in a box of being just a portion of deity. Who raised Jesus from the dead? Well, it is stated that God raised him, that's right. Jesus said, 
I will destroy this nose. And in three days, I will raise it up. They were looking at the, they were looking at the exegesis of God, if you will. Let me say it that way. God declared, plainly written in front of them. He was the resurrection standing in front of them. And he said, you destroy this nous. You have two different words for temple in New Testament. One word is for all of the facility, the big facility. But the nous uh, indicated the, the most holy spot. You destroy this nous. And in three days I will raise it up. I'm so grateful that we know that Jesus is God. And, of course, Scripture does not contradict when it comes to answering the question, who raised up that body of Jesus? 1 Corinthians begins with the fact of the resurrected Christ. Paul was addressing in that letter to the Corinthians that there is going to be a resurrection. Because there was obviously, you're some saying that there will not be a resurrection. And he was basing everything is hubbed on the fact that Jesus got up from the dead. He's the first fruits. Then every man in his own togmati, his own uh, class, his own order. He said, if Jesus did not get up from the dead, then all of our preaching is in vain. That's it's what we're all about. If we don't have a resurrected Christ, then we don't have anything. You're still in your sins. Your loved ones are not going to get up. It is the basis for everything that we do. You believe that Jesus rose from the dead, dear assembly of, of Corinth, then why do you deny that there would be a resurrection of others that would follow in their own order? I think that that is, is self-explanatory instead of spending a great deal of time on that. Jesus said, Matthew 16 and 18, Upon this rock, speaking of himself, you have the difference of Petros and Petra, one being a small rock and the other being a rocky ledge. Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell, as in the KJV, that is not Gehenna, the place of burning, that is Hedu or Hades, the place of departed spirits. One great presenter today mentioned how he that ascended first of all descended and took captive captivity and passed up through every, went up through every level taking victories and exposing them as proof of what he is able to do in his resurrection power to the point that you had some walk the streets of Jerusalem that uh, were in the graves. So you say Jesus went to hell. The word is not Gehenna, the place of burning. It is Edu, Hades. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I know that we as uh, sermonizers like to preach that, um, that whatever we do, hell can't come against it and we're going to go to this new city and we're going to push against the gates of hell. And those are all good, 
good applications. But what is the first application that Jesus was talking about? He said, I'm going to build a church on this rock. And the place of departed spirits cannot hold this rocky ledge. It is one of the greatest funeral texts of all. He's talking about the grave. The grave is not going to hold what is righteous. Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Hades, the place of departed spirits, will not be able to confine it, if you will. And Paul says it will happen in atomo, from which we get the word atom, in the smallest particle of, of time. It will happen in atomo. And he gives another glimpse of how this will take place. And all these words paint a picture. And as I'm, I'm sorry that children in today don't read as many books maybe as, as we did, uh, we didn't have all these other things that children captivate their little worlds with. We just had books. We had those little, you know. And boy, the imagination was just huge. And let words paint a picture to you. It will happen in Otomo, in, in the smallest part of a, a second. He gave another glimpse of how it will be in Kripe Afalmu, in the twinkling or the blinking of an eye or another, another way to describe what the words mean in the fluttering of a, a bird's wing. It will happen just like that. And all of this change. Behold, I show you a mystery. Was resurrection the mystery? Yes, it is mysterious. But is that the one that Paul was talking about? No, he said. I'll show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Some of us are not going to go into the grave. But standing here, living life, being a worshiper, maintaining the good fight, the good fight, and manifesting the faith, which has the article, when the Son of Man returns, will he find the faith? Not just any faith. The definite article is in front of it. There is a certain kind of faith that at the moment he returns must be maintained. In a moment, in the twinkling, the fluttering of a bird's wing, it will happen in less than a particle of a second. We shall be changed. I, I've often, I've made a practice, and, 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 and when you pastor in the South, you have to have a whole lot of funeral sermons. Bible Belt, you, you preach funerals just all the time, it seems like. I make a point when I go out the last few steps and we stand in that burial ground as, is, uh, as it is normally called. I remind this family of this scripture that, and these things that we've talked about. That in a moment there will be a voice that shouts, the, sh the voice of an archangel, the trump. And I'll not go into uh, all of the miscommunications of the word trump. There will be a certain command given. It will be a sound. 
and the dead in Christ. Now remind the family, standing here, if you could be here the moment that the Lord gives that commanding signal, let me tell you, Hollywood has never, on their best day, whatever that was, ever created a scene that will be produced as graves burst open. And instead of let's calling this a burial ground, let's call this a resurrection ground. We are going to plant the seed today. That is what burial is. It is planting the seed in faith. Know you not that body that we sow is not the body that shall be resurrected. We're planting a seed. And what comes up is not that same body that we plant in the ground. Mm, We shall all be changed. Mm. All right. The very last verse of... 1 Corinthians in 57, the verse, you don't have to go there. I'll just simply mention it. The coming of the Lord, the parousian, the coming, the literal presence of the Lord. The end of all this is the nikos, is the victory. The last thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to step into the greatest level of victory that I have ever known as a child of God. I've had the Holy Ghost do some wonderful things. Oh, my goodness. And you have too. I've, 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 I've as a kid, receiving the Holy Ghost at nine years old. And then and shortly after that, you know, just as a young teenager started preaching and the anointing and the Holy Ghost to make you dance, the Holy Ghost to make you, uh, well, be participant in all those wonderful. But I have never had the Holy Ghost The spirit, the literal presence. What I've got as the Holy Ghost right now is merely the down payment, the earnest to hold me until the final nikos is handed to me. And as my old dad used to say, when that happens, the final victory, he said, devil, You can kiss my foot because I have made it in. You can't hurt me anymore. Behold, I show you a mystery. Was it resurrection or was it translation? Answer it for yourself with what we've just discussed. The changed body. Let's talk about the changed body. Philippians 3 and 13 through 14. Brethren, I count not myself to have arrested or apprehended. Literalist to have laid hold on. I don't count myself to have laid hold on. I hadn't yet arrested them. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching And literally it is translated stretching forward unto those things which are before. KJV says I press. That's a good word. Press. 
It's a little bit more uh, understandable using the word dioko, which means to pursue or to follow with this, insensi- with this intensity. Dioko goes to the point, I follow something so hard that I persecute it. That's how hard I am, pers- that's how hard I am pursuing it and following it. I stretch forward unto those things which are before, and I, Dioko, I press or I pursue with such intensity towards the mark for the prize. To Brabeon, the prize of the Tezano Klesos, the upcalling, the upward calling. It is going to happen. It is mentioned enough times, enough ways, enough settings. You can bank on it. Don't be afraid to quote it. Don't be afraid to profess it. What is the prize? What is the prize? We often preach about it. It's good preaching ground, but what is the prize of the upcalling? What is the thing that we receive? What is the prize of the up? What am I pursuing so hard that I am actually persecuting? I am I'm pushing it so hard. Paul answered it in a in a um, first way, about two verses up from this, that I might attain unto the resurrection. That I might attain. I am pressing for this. It's what I am all about. For the prize. Verse 21, the very last verse of that chapter gives it all in a nutshell. And this is not original with me. I'll make it very short. My father passed away now seven years ago, right at seven years ago. And mom called me one day shortly after, about 30 days after he had uh, passed on and said, Rick, come over here to the house, to his office, said, I just discovered uh, something that uh, I don't think you've ever seen. I walked over there, and in his, in his Greek Bible, he was working on a last message that he never did preach. I looked at that, and in a moment, I knew where he was going. Of course, Dad never did. He did not preach with pages of notes. He'd, he'd have a, a, a little strip of a card, and he'd have two or three sentences on it. Who will change our vile body. The word is the body of our humiliation. Our humble body. This body has been humbled by the fall. We were created to be something so much more. What is the prize of the upcalling? In that moment in the twinkling of an eye. The fluttering of a bird's wing. At the voice. The trump sound. That voice that sounds like a trump. What is going to happen? I'm going to receive a prize as I respond to that up call. And this body of humiliation that has been humiliated by the fall. Did not Jesus say, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost that encompasses these bodies? Paul said, Wretched man that I am, that that I would, that I do not. And he goes on, 
I mean, this body of fallen nature, it's a, it's a fight. He prayed for help. Grace came in, in its stead. But there is a moment. Pardon me, I'm symposium. They're supposed to stay pretty calm. But there is a moment where when I hear the upcall, the mystery, and here was the man that stated that there is a mystery beyond just the fact of resurrection, those that are alive and remain. And he himself was living in a body that had some affliction. And we'll leave that for another discussion. He was looking forward to this vile body, this body that had been humiliated through the fall. For that to be all corrected. So I walked over and I looked at those notes. I said, Mom, can I have that? Of course, son, you have it. So I said, you know, uh, Mom, that, that suit that uh, he prayed for, he never get to preach in our new church. He, he got to pray the prayer of dedication. And um, I said, can I have that suit and tie? Yeah, yeah. So I brought it over and had a tailor cut it down. I walked to the pulpit that next Sunday night, and I said, I'm going to, I'm going to preach Bishop Tree's last message. And there's a lot of things that I would like to do with this text, but I know how he would say it. I know the words he would use. And I'm going to preach it to the best of my ability as he would have preached it to you. And, and here it is. What is the prize? Who will change our vile body, making it conformed or fashioned. When I hear the upcalling, when I am snatched, whether you are in the grave and you go up first, you're, you're caught up first, resurrected, you rise first, or whether I am waiting on my class, there will be a conforming. There will be a new body conformed to the body of his glory. And what is that glory? Is that just an outshining doxa that has an appearance? Yes, but more than that. Because the next phrase gives the key. And I'd never seen this before, so I can't claim discovery rights on it. But here was a man that uh, for some 12 plus years, uh, I, can, I can't explain why. He, he lived in such chronic pain. He loved the word. He loved study. But he lived in chronic pain. And his last message that he wanted to declare was this body of humiliation I will drop. And I will rise as he conforms or fashions me a body. And how is that? According to the inner gaze unto the working or the operation of of his ability, and the word is dunastai, according to the power of God. Here it is again. Jesus said, you make mistakes, Sadducees, because you don't know the scriptures, and second of all, you don't know the power of God. But at that moment, everything that needs to be corrected in this body of humiliation, thank God, is going to be, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, going to be corrected. There will be no pain. There will be no destructive force. Why? Come on, let's finish the answer. What kind of body will it be according to the working of His power? 
even to subject all things to himself. His glorious body will have a body fashioned like unto. Is it just a radiant body? Yes, but beyond that. And here's the key. It's what Pop wrote down. Complete control. All things will be subdued or subjected unto. Right now I am subjected to a whole lot of things that I cannot change. But in that moment, in that moment all things will be subjected to that body. Imagine a body that is in total control. Paul looked forward to that change. Behold, I show you a mystery. What did you see, Paul? When did you see it? Did you see it in those months on the backside of the Arabian desert? Did you see it then? Did you see it when you were caught up in the third? When did you see it? But here was a man that could suffer being stoned. Can't tell you how many times I've been beaten with rods, he said. Put out on the water, adrift. How do you keep going? Because I am expecting, I'm expecting, looking for, he said. I am looking for the blessed hope, the glorious parousian. When that happens, this vile, humiliated body, all of a sudden will be in total control. You'll have to pardon me for just a minute because I, I, I would love to know how that's going to be. Whatever kind of body Jesus had when he came out of the grave, that's the kind of body we're going to have. Let's go on. I, all right, well, you know, the, the more I talk, the less questions you can ask, I guess, huh? I don't have time for escape before wrath. For God hath not appointed us to wrath. Our appointment, let me clench. The last thing that the shewer does, the farrier does, he, he does all the work, and the last thing he does is he clenches the nails. Paul clenched it. He said, for we are not appointed under wrath. Our appointment is not under wrath. How many times do I need to quote it? For all of these who are carrying a different idea, let me clinch it. Our appointment for the church is not an appointment of wrath, but to obtain salvation to our Lord Jesus Christ. Genesis, Genesis 19, 17 It'll sound just a little bit different than what I have written on the page. I wrote the KJV. Vayehi hehotziam utam hakutza vayomer himalet al nafshacha al tabit acharecha ve al tamud ve bechol hakikar hahara himalet pen tisafe which is very, very plain when it says, and they set them to the outside and said, flee or escape for your nafshacha, 
for your soul or for your life. Don't, al tabit, don't look behind you. And don't tamod, don't stand or don't stop in all the hachikar, all of the plain, to the mountain, himalet, escape, pen tisafe, lest you be swept away. The precedent of escape before wrath is given very strongly. Skipping down to verse 22. Maher himalet shama kilo ucha laasot dava ad boacha shama. Hurry, flee, flee there because I can do no thing as if I would read it woodenly. I can do no thing until you come there. The blessed hope, the glorious parousian, the glorious literal presence will take me out of here before wrath. And my final nikos, my final victory will be pronounced. Revelations chapter 6. Revelations chapter 6 is the effect is the effect that takes place of wrath, the effect of wrath. I'll just say it quickly. For those who say, show me where wrath begins, I must conclude with you that the church cannot be a part of it. Just show me where wrath begins. Because Paul said in Thessalonians, we are not appointed under wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord. Where does wrath begin? I'm not here to debate you. Let me just say, when it comes to question time, I'll debate you about Acts 2.38, and I'll be glad to debate you about Godhead. But when it comes to some matters of prophecy, say what you like. Say your, Right now, I've got the mic. But I'll, you can say what you want, and that'll be fine. I'll not bait, debate you about certain portions of prophecy. There is one thing that you don't need to close your eyes to. And that is by the time you get to the end of the sixth chapter and you're not even out of the first set of judgments, it says, Because the Megale, from which we get the word Mega, because the great day of his Orges, which is wrath, the word is El Thane. I have it written here in its usage so that you can take it home with you. It is an aorist, meaning past punctilier action. You're not even out of the first set of judgments. And it is declared for the great day of his wrath came. KJV says, is come, has come, and who shall be able to stand? You know what, I've, I've gone my time and more. I'll, I'll bow out. There's a whole lot more that I would enjoy speaking. 
but I'll pay attention to time. God bless you all. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Pastor Therese. We do have time for a few questions. As we get into questions, I want to remind us of a few rules of engagement, let's say. <laughs> uh, number one, remember to stay on topic. Uh, this is obviously touching a lot of very broad topics and a lot of uh, very wide scopes. So let's try to limit this specifically to what has been addressed in this presentation. Again, thank you, pa Pastor Therese, for uh, these wonderful comments. Also, please, uh, especially in a topic like this, there's going to be a, a constraint on time. I think what I will do this time, let's just kind of make a, a deal here, and I'm going to set a timer for one minute, and if you haven't got to your question in one minute, is it okay if I just call you for a question? And if not, then we'll just move on. Is that okay? All right. Fair game. All right. We'll do it that way then. Uh, questions will be addressed to Pastor Therese, and um, he's already told you how he'll handle them. So... With that being said, stay on topic. Stay as close to the scriptures that were used as, as you can in this presentation. And with all of that being said, um, again, we do encourage your questions. So I wonder, I haven't seen any hands yet. I wonder if there are questions uh, ready here. There's one right back at the back here. Job well done, Pastor Treese. Um, you mentioned the label that Paul had mentioned for the rapture, catching away, snatching away the seizing. And in Matthew chapter 27, in verse 52, after Jesus had resurrected, the Bible says that there were saints that rose from the grave that walked to the holy city. Can you elaborate on that for us? And what scripture are you using, Matthew what? 27 and what? Verse 52. And verse 52. It just simply is, we're raised, slept. Many of the saints are the bodies, somata, of those that had fallen asleep. Hagion, saints were raised. And we know that that was true. The background of that is, as I stated, let me say it again. Who is he that ascended except he that first descended into the lower parts of the earth and took captive captivity and gave gifts to men these people, and I was not there, to behold them, it just simply says that they were raised. And they were proofs that he came to the lowest parts. Did he go? I'll say it again. He didn't go into Gehenna, place of continual burning. He went into Edu. And he brought forth proofs not just himself, but he brought forth other proofs, and they were, and they were raised. Okay, beyond the purpose of that, 
I don't know, but I do know that he was giving validated proof or validating proof because they walked through the streets. They were recognized. And that's, that's powerful. That's powerful. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, another question at the very back. Thank you very much. I wondered if you would be able to elaborate on the wrath of God and the wrath of Satan, and maybe be able to differentiate the two, and maybe give us a timeline between the wrath of God and actually the wrath of Satan. For me to talk about the wrath of God, there are certain avenues and ang- or not angles, but there are certain spokes of that that uh, God reserves for Himself. But we do know that He places in those last in those last days He places times and seasons in the hands of evil, and evil cannot handle it. It becomes, as all things become, when he touches it, it becomes chaos. Now, God is not the author, author of confusion. There are some things he allows Satan to work in his program of evil. And when Satan has produced his worst, when he produces his man of sin, and he... And he with spirits draw and position armies to a particular part of the earth to where they all fighting against one another. God lets evil do his worst. Satan said, I will. I will one thing. I will two. Five, I I will. I will. He He gives some things into his hands and he lets him work his crusade. And at his very climax. And all of this is the wrath of God. The the timing. But in that lawlessness is working. And at the very climax of that. When he is doing his worst. At the very end. His literal presence shows up. At the very end. And the wrath of. Satanos. The accuser. Is dealt with without. The Lord even having to dirty his hands. A sharp sword goeth out of his mouth. And his very literal presence. Stuns and stops. Everything. Just by him showing up. There is no grappling wrestling match. So in this great day of the Lord, that is a big wide window, he allows Satan to work his worst. And without even touching him, his literal presence overcomes him. Okay? Thank you. We've got a question over here, and then we'll kind of work our way back from there. Thank you for your presentation, sir. 
my question is regarding 1 Corinthians 15, 51. We shall not all sleep. Can you expound on that? 15 and 51, yes, that I read, read and, and, and talked about. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. The Corinthians were very worried about what's happened to our loved ones that have passed. And Paul let them know that uh, they are asleep. They sleep through Christ. What, do, what does he mean? His buddy Lazarus died. He said, hey, let's, let's go wake him up. And the disciples said, well, that's more of a problem than that. So he let them know, okay, in your vernacular, he's died. The explanation is in that story. But we sleep through Jesus. To him, it is not death. To us it is how final it looks. But it's not final to him. To those who have his frequency, and I use that in, that's not a new age term. That's just an old colloquialism. Like the illustration of the man that, that walked into the, to the glass shop and said uh, to the proprietor, I'd, I'd like to buy every uh, glass you have here that's tuned to the frequency of A minor. The man said, well, sir, I have no way of, of knowing that. Oh, he said that would be easy. He took a tuning fork out of his pocket and he struck a note and every glass on the shelf that was tuned to that frequency began to hum. And to those that have his spirit... It's not going to be hard to have them just come up here, command them to come up here. Is that good enough? I think there was a question at the back, on the far, far back right there. Um, thank you, Pastor Treese. That was wonderful, educating. Um, being a first-generation um, apostolic Christian, um, a lot of my worldly friends and family, they, they like to debate me and, and ask me questions, and some of them I don't have answers for. Um, <clears throat> you say that God is not the author of confusion. Um, and the order of resurrection is the dead in Christ shall, shall rise first. What is the apostolic doctrine's view, if it has a view, on cremation and saints who have been cremated? Okay. Let me just... Let me just answer it by this. As far as a positional paper or a bylaw, there is not one in any of the manuals of fellowships that I know of what certain apostolic fellowships embrace. Let me just answer it for me. I don't down anybody that is cremated. And, and I just this last week, as I said, uh, we've gone through a, a great cycle of having preached funerals down south, especially in our city. And so I was standing with a very well, uh, 
well-versed and seasoned um, funeral director and mortuary uh, man. And he said, you know, cremation is becoming very popular because people are so transit. They don't live in just one spot any longer to go visit their loved one there at graveside, etc. And another thing is, is price. So he gave the reason why there is so much going on today. There is another reason that I have observed. It's only my thought. There are some people who would like to, and I don't put this on everyone, so everybody out there in the radio land, I'm not being without compassion because this is probably not you. But there are some that I know, and I'll reserve those names just to hold within me. There are some people who would like a little bit of escapism. Escapism. I do know for me, don't cremate me. Uh, put me either in a tomb or plant the seed. Plant, plant me as a seed in the ground because that part is mentioned in Scripture. Is it wrong? Can God do something with... Uh, let me tell you, no matter how you're dissolved or, or, or vanish or vaporize, whatever happens. God knows where you are. and God can do the miracle. So don't worry about that. But as far as for me, don't cremate me. If I will, I'd like to pursue this thing like our Lord, if you will. And as Paul said, um, sow this body. That doesn't put anybody else in a, in a bad light. I'm just speaking for Rick Therese. Does that help you? Okay, we'll take a few more questions uh, right back here. Thank you. Um, excellent presentation. Um, my name is Walter Ragland from Madison, Wisconsin. My question is, according to the text that you read um, in First um, Thessalonians chapter 4, looking at verse number um, 16, you, it read, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, can you help me or elaborate what does Paul means when he says, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Can you elaborate on that for me, please? Yes, to whatever degree that I can, standing on this side of that event, I haven't passed through that, that portal, if you will. Um, but to be absent from this body, let's talk about that. It's a good question. People never pay attention to it until they're sitting in those green chairs under that green canopy. And then they really want to know, where is my loved one? Where is my loved one? And what, what, what is it like? I've, I've preached funerals, and so have you, where they have old Uncle Joe. Well, now he's, he's up in heaven, and he's got them same cowboy boots on right now, and he's just strolling through the streets, and he just... He's just kicking about in that new body, and he's not crippling anymore. He can run at this point. At this point, I explained to those 
that are sitting under the green canopy, let me tell you what happens. If a man dies, shall he live again? Yes. What happens at the moment of expiration? What happens at the moment of death? That spirit goes back to its maker. But that new body is not yet. It's at that wonderful, mysterious moment of resurrection where that spirit, where that spirit, if you will, the Lord builds as that spirit that is resurrected places that spirit that cannot die. A body is made up, a person made up of body, soul, and spirit. Right, right, right. And so when you connect spirit to body, you have soul, which is life. The word is interchangeable, psuche, with life. Okay? So in that new body, he rejoins that spirit that cannot die in a glorious body. And at that point, resurrected glories of, of Uncle Joe walking around. He's moving now, but not people. Well, he's in that new body right now. Yeah. <laughs> Jess Parker, well said. Thank you for that tremendous presentation, Brother Therese. Um, a quick question. In light of Paul's writing in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 9, God hath not appointed us to wrath. Could you uh, give some insight on that with the connection to Revelation 7 when it talks about those that came out of great tribulation, washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb? What tribulation or wrath was that, if not the wrath of God? Yeah. Tribulation saints, who are they that is, that is mentioned? Notice the difference between wrath and tribulation. Thessalonians did not Paul correct he said, did not I tell you while I was with you that you would suffer tribulation? The word is thalipsis, which means pressure. It is more time referred to as pressure or what the church is going through now. I do know, I do know that the Jesus said in the Gospels, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, those prophetic discourses, I do know that the word great tribulation is used, but it is used more times describing the 70th week of Daniel as the wrath of God. Paul said, did not tell you while I was with you that you would suffer pressure, tribulation? We're under pressure now. I'm talking about in the first century when they, when they fed them to the lions. That's pressure. That's thalipsis. Did I not tell you? And so when he's talking about these saints, they have come out of great pressure. That reaches all the way back to the day that Paul is preaching in where they came to church and they came the next service and brother and sister so-and-so were not there because they had been turned in and, and they had lost their lives. Imagine having Sabbath day or our Lord's day gathering and your congregation is being diminished because of Philipsis. All the way from first century, what we're going through now 
is pressure. For we wrestle not against principalities and powers, but against etc. The church has not gone without pressure since we walked out from the upper room. But we are promised we will not go through wrath. So who are those saints? These are they that have come out. Reaching all the way back, all the way through these church ages. The devil couldn't stamp them out, couldn't burn them out, couldn't twist the gospel enough to confuse them, etc. Okay, I think we have time for one, maybe two more questions. And I know there's one waiting over on the back. Or not the back, the, my far right. Brother Therese, thank you so much. Um, I had a question in regards to uh, 2 Corinthians 12, and I believe it falls in because it's the same usage of caught up. But when it says, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, and I know we can't get into the details of all that, what that could be. When it says, such as one caught up to the third heaven, I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell God of, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Maybe this is Paul speaking the third person of an experience he encountered, which a lot are inclined to believe. Is he in this possibly attempting to wrestle with don't know how to say this, almost a concept of having experienced a semblance of pre-rapture, a foretelling, because moving from this, he goes into the desire of glory. And if this was him, he moves into the thorn in his flesh, the buffeting, and the dynamic of the temporal. So is this utilizing some of that, if you understand what I'm saying? I, I hear what you're saying, and that is, boy, that is that is as that is more than just a really um, great subject. The word that is employed there is the same word, harpagenta, the same word. Paul had excessive revelation, and obviously the Lord balanced that out with an affliction of some kind. Why did that thorn in the flesh? Well, it's answered because obviously there was some excessive revelation. The word there is the same. How did Paul know about this mystery thing? I am not saying dogmatically that Paul experienced rapture there. No. But he had been schooled somewhere to a point of the amount of revelation and unveiling that he had was excessive. And the Lord knew how to balance that with a fleshly situation that afflicted him. So to make a concluding statement, for that to have happened to Paul, to suffer that and just give, have grace applied, the other end of the pendulum was something really excessive had happened to him. Is that all right? It is the same word. It is the same word. Harpagenta. 
He was caught up into, the word is paradison, from which we, it's paradise. He said, I was caught up into paradise, paradison. This thing starts off in a garden, or according to the first book. It starts off in a garden and winds up in a city. But both of it is paradise, according to the words of our Lord. Okay? Thank you. We are out of time. I apologize to you, at least two men that had questions we couldn't get to. But thank you, Pastor Tree, so much for your comments today.